Uh, let's look in our Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and I'm, I'm encouraged by the subject matter <clears throat> myself uh, today, and I hope I can pass that along to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to talk about uh, an aspect of the judgment seat of Christ, okay? So let's look at this here, 1 Corinthians 4, we'll read verses 1 through 5. 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 5, and uh, we'll go ahead and read the scripture, and I'm going to just back up and show you our context. Some of you know exactly what we're talking about. Others, I need to remind you of the context of this message. It's in the context of this series, Five Events You Should Know. All right, 1 Corinthians 4, verses 1 through 5, Paul is writing to a church, and chapter 4, verse 1, he says, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Notice verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time, until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. The Bible says in some other scriptures, it says in 2 Corinthians, another Corinthian book, we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Romans 14 says, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Why dost thou set it not thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one of us may give an account. So then, every one of us shall give an account of himself before God. So we're talking about a future event. There are several future events, but this one particular event, we remind you of our little chart here, uh, that we're going to talk about the judgment seat of Christ. The next thing that could happen in, in history is a, is a rapture, and that would be the Lord snatching out of this world those that belong to Him. And those who have dead bodies that are believers, they get a new dead, they get a new dead, but they get a new body, and they come up, and the Lord snags up everyone that belongs to Him with new glorious bodies like His, and they are ever with Him. And we all get to go to heaven. We can go to heaven in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, and, um, and we will be with Him if you're a believer. And we will be with the Lord. And meanwhile, on earth, during that time, there's going to some events will start happening known as the Day of the Lord. And that's, again, what a lot of Revelation chapter 6 through 19 speaks about. It's Revelation chapter 6 through 19 is speaking a lot of, uh, it's mostly about things that happen within a seven-year period. The tribulation, we talked a little bit about that a couple weeks ago. Meanwhile, this judgment seat of Christ is happening up in heaven, us as Christians will stand before the Lord to give an account. Just like a student at the end of a year has an award assembly and they give, usually, you know, some of them get awards. Or athletes on a team, they'll have like a team, you know, assembly or, or sports awards assembly. And uh, when you have a sports awards assembly at a school, nobody gets punished or put in jail or anything like that. There's no condemnation. It's either you get a reward or not. And in this case, it's, it's a similar thing. The language in Scripture, when it speaks about the judgment seat of Christ, the language is that of athletic language, not of legal or condemnation language. So this is a moment in time when Christians get individually assessed and rewarded by Christ Jesus, not for sin, but for service. And that's what we're reading. We read a passage of Scripture that dealt with that. Now, if you're not a Christian, you won't be here. You won't be here at this judgment seat. You'll end up coming to this one, where the books are open and the dead are judged out of those books. God's going to just say, here's the facts of your life, here's you, and uh, the soul that sinneth, it shall die, and whoever's not found written in the book of life will be cast in the lake of fire. We have, to, we have to come to a faith in Jesus Christ, a person, every person needs to come to faith in Jesus Christ to be forgiven, to be uh, redeemed to God, we're all born lost, and we need to be saved. And the, the way to be saved is not to be more religious or try to be more moral, but to just trust Jesus, put your faith in Jesus, 
Uh, how do you fly from one place to another? Trust and just get in the plane and trust it. You know, you have to pay. In your case, we have to pay a price. But Jesus has already paid a price for us. We just trust in him, and he transports us and gets us to a place we would never get on our own. And so the judgment seat of Christ is where we will all, as his people, stand before him. We'll each have our day. We'll each have our uh, moment of assembly. Have you ever judged food? Anybody ever in here ever been a food judge? All right. Food, what did you judge? Oh, yeah. Can I come, too? Yeah. Can I come? All right. All right. We'll talk after church. All right. <laughs> All right. Anybody else have to judge food? You know? I mean, besides your wife saying, honey, does this taste good, which is always yes. Uh, all right. Well, we, who, did, who is it that did the Bible time cake thing? That was Steve and I. And who else? Adam, did, we, did you? The cake? Remember Annabelle and some of you girls made cake and stuff? We had to judge the... Oh, yeah, one of the other evangelists. So I had to judge cake, you know. This was good in my opinion. You know, this one's better. They were all good, actually. One was just a little bit better. How many of you ever submitted food to be judged? It's like your wives are like every day. Every day, yeah. In a contest. Anybody ever submit food in a contest to be judged? Okay. Oh, okay. Anybody win? Oh, yeah. Oh, all right. Good. All right. Anybody have to... How about on another subject, refereeing? Has anybody ever had to be a referee? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. All right? That's not easy, is it? It's not easy. See, when you're not a ref, you're like, look at that guy. Can't he see anything? What's wrong with that guy? I think he's conspiring for the other team. Well, you try to ref and see how well it goes. Everybody's going to think the same thing about you. You know, it's not easy to ref. Um, it's easy to look at him and, you know, part, pick him apart and everything and, or say, he didn't see that. Of course he didn't. His head's turned this way and it happened that way, you know. And uh, where refs can't see everything, they're imperfect judges. And, and it could be that some of them purposely judge wrong. Uh, I think most of the time it's that they just didn't see something. Uh, but it's not fun to be judged unfairly. And um, sometimes we judge unfairly, whether it's intentional or unintentional. Paul's talking about that concept of being judged and unfairly. That's what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians 4. You see, 1 Corinthians, part of the tone in 1 and 2 Corinthians is Paul's writing to the Corinthians, and there's a number of Corinthians who just kind of have this snooty attitude toward Paul. Like, well, his speech is contemptible. His bodily presence is weak. He's not, very, he's not very impressive. His letters are pretty impressive. But, you know, when I see him speak, he's like, yeah, whatever. I've heard great Greek philosophers speak much better than Paul. And there's certain, some Corinthians that had this assessment of Paul where they, they kind of judged him in that sense, okay? Um, and, they, uh, and so he knew that. But he was still, nevertheless, the one who planted that church and the one who was sent by God to communicate to that church and to maintenance that church and to teach them like children, to bring them up. Nevertheless, in spite of some of their judgments toward him, he was still needing to minister to, toward them. So he speaks about the idea of being judged. Look at, uh, look at the language here. Please just pause for a minute. I want you to consider what he's saying before we even have anything to teach, okay? Um, so Paul says, look at verse 1, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So here's Paul writing to the Corinthians. And he says, hey, here's how you should look. Here's how you should account of us. Here's how you should view us. Here's how you should think of us. The most awesomest apostles ever. No, that's not how he says you should think of us. How should you view us? You should view us as the boss. No, he didn't say that. He says, let a man so view us, account of us as, you know what we are? We're servants of God. And God has, it's called the mysteries of God. That is the aspects, the gospel message, really. And any truth that's coming in the New Testament, God gave us these Bible truths. God showed us the preaching, the gospel. And so we receive the gospel message from God. And Paul says, let a man, if you're looking at me, Paul says of himself and many of the other apostles or of his missionary team, they helped him. Here's how you should look at us. We're just servants of God. We got some goods and we're stewarding these goods. Don't even belong to us. 
they're valuable. And so we're stewarding them, we're sharing them, we're distributing them, we're teaching them. You know how you need to look at us, Corinthians? Look at us as just servants coming by serving your table. Stewards, servants. The word servants has the idea of being a waiter. The steward, the steward has the idea of managing a, a bunch of assets. He says, that's how you should look at us. In other words, he's, he's kind of revealing how he looks at himself. I've just received. In fact, later in this chapter, you know what Paul says? Hey, some of you that think you got a lot, what do you have that you, ha- that you have not received? What hast thou that thou didst not receive? That's a good question. What do you have that, again, uh, what does it say then? What hast thou that thou didst not receive? What? That's a good question for us. What do I have in my life that I didn't receive? Uh, nothing. Everything I received. Pretty much everything. Even if you go to work and you buy something you I earned, well, you still received strength and presence of mind to go work to receive. Pretty much everything we have, later on in this chapter, he says, God's given you everything. Okay, so he's looking at himself. He's being fair. He's saying, look, we're just stewards. We've just received. We're stewards of God. Thank you, God, for what you've given us. And then he says, now let's follow his wording, his logic here. We're meant to understand it. Verse 2, moreover, it's required in stewards, look at verse 2, that a man be found faithful. All right, so he's commenting on the concept of stewardship and on his own. He says, okay, we're stewards. Well, it's required in stewards that a man be trustworthy. Even like kids, okay, so temporarily, like my wife and I, you know, as our kids have gotten older, we see it, they get to a certain age, like, okay, we can leave this teenager in charge now. All right, we're going to go. Deb and I will go out for a couple hour a day. And so the 13-year-old now can manage the other little rascals, and here's what you're going to feed them, and here's what we're going to do, and here's what they can watch and not watch. And, and we kind of give them the, the breakdown, and they know that, all right, I'm in charge. You know, well, mom and dad are gone. So that means that this little steward, this 13-year-old, uh, usually teen guy, uh, is in charge. That means everything there it doesn't belong to them. That they have to manage the little guys and the meal and the time and the chores and act like a big shot, I guess, you know. And, and what they have to do, they have to be trustworthy. Otherwise, we wouldn't have asked them to do it. And usually the first couple times prove if they're trustworthy. So it's required in a steward. Stewards is somebody who's been given a bunch of goods to manage and people. It's required that you be faithful, that you be trustworthy. It's not required that you be cool and good looking. It's not required that you be, you know, uh, charismatic. It's not required that you be eloquent. Or uh, it's just required that you can be trusted with this stuff. All right, so Paul says we're stewards. It's required of us that, you know, not required that we be good looking, charismatic, or even successful in the world's eyes, but that we be trustworthy with what's been given to us in our, in our distribution and teaching of it, that, we've been, that we're trustworthy, that a man be found faithful. By the way, it's the same for us. You and I are all stewards of everything right now. I mean, your breath, your, your health. Some of us have different size bodies and health, uh, uh, health and all that stuff. We're still a steward of it. We're not all the same. We have different gifts. He's given to us gifts and stuff according to each of our several ability. And, and, and so we're, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to steward that. I'm stewarding every moment. You're, you're, you are a steward of your, of your schedule, not mine. I'm a steward of my kids, not yours. You're a steward of your kids, not the other person's that you think is doing better than you or worse. You're a steward of the things God's given you. Paul says we're stewards. We're just servants of God. Now notice what he says in verse 3. We're following his thought process. So he says back to them, but with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you. You know, I, you know it's like you took, a, you took a taste of my uh, key lime pie and don't like it. That's no big deal. I like it. Maybe it didn't even really matter if I like it, because ultimately that key lime pie representing my service to God, I'm going to show to God. That's what he's saying. That's the logic. He said, he said it's a very small thing that, you know, you Corinthians, you judge me in that sense of evaluating the quality of kind of my spiritual service, it's a small thing that I'm judging. It doesn't mean it's nothing. He says it's just that the word in Greek word is micro. It's microscopically important. That's the word. 
he says, it's very small that you should judge me. Or he says, or look at the next phrase, or of man's judgment. But Paul, don't you care what the Greek, um, what, don't you care what the, the uh, Greek media says about you? Eh, not really. If, I, if they know I'm a Christian, they're probably going to say something bad. So it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you. It's a small thing. Or of man's judgment. And then look what he says at the end of verse 3. I judge not my own self. I can't even depend on my own assessment of myself. For he, look what he says. And here's he explains that thought. Look at verse 4. He says, for I know nothing by myself. I can't really give an accurate judgment of myself without an extra opinion. I don't know, I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified. He says to the Corinthians, who there's a certain element of them, have this critical spirit toward them, have this judgmental attitude toward them. He says, you know what? He that judges me is the Lord. That's kind of the key thought today. He that judges me is the Lord. This isn't clicking. Can you help me out here, Yannick? It's like this. Let's say we have a pie eating contest. You're pie, not pie eating. Pie baking, pie making. Is it baking or making? What do we call this? A pie something contest. Okay, and there's like three judges. And let's say it's uh, Teddy, Adam, and my dad. All right. And so there's like ten pies up here. Teddy, Adam, and my dad. They got to judge them. And and uh, you know, ten of you made a pie. And I go up and I'm like, I taste the pie. I'm like, that is gross. Who made that? I didn't? You made that? That's gross, man. What's wrong with you? Chocolate mousse pie? It's too much cocoa in it, you know? And uh, I didn't be like, oh, Pastor, criticize me. You know, he could maybe get all worked up about it and upset. And, but at the end of the day, it's like, who cares? Who's the judges? These three. That's really what matters, you know? Even if you taste it, I'm not really sure about that. I'm not sure. I don't know if I like my pie. I don't, we'll see what these guys say. That's what matters. He that judges you is, is these three. Now, if they say something bad, then we can handle that, you know, in another way. No, I'm just kidding. But I'm trying to help you see the concept. Sometimes we get worked up about somebody that judges us. Um, and we need to think through that. It's like, wait a minute, what am I being judged about? This is a little bit of a complicated subject because the idea of judging is in the Bible of times to do it, times not to do it. Okay? Jesus said judge righteous judgment. And uh, you have to, if you're, a, if you're an, especially a manager of a business and you're, you're trying to hire somebody, you've got to judge them. You have to. But we're talking about more, Paul's talking about this more in a sense of, it looks like more of like the assessment of his legitimacy as an apostle and his, the assessment of him is if he's even valuable in what he's doing. It's kind of in a bigger picture. He's saying, small thing that you judge me, I don't judge myself. He that judges me is the Lord. Um, here's, some, here's what we want to look at. This is kind of the whole plan for hiking through the Scripture today, okay? Since Christ is my judge, the Lord, when it says he that judges me is the Lord, it's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ at the judgment seat of Christ. It's not talking about this other one where we're judged about our works and the fact that we're not saved. Since Jesus is my judge, there's three implications here right in the text. There's three kind of like uh, results you know, since he's judging the pie of my life and not somebody else, then here's the three statements we're going to walk through. Paul teaches us that we need to take lightly other people's judgment. If Jesus is going to ultimately judge me for the value of the life I've lived, if he's going to do that, then I need to take lightly how people are voicing about what they think about my, the, my life. Number two, if Jesus is my judge, then I need to learn to get over myself. And number three, if Jesus is my judge, then he, his judgment, his appraisal, that's another synonymous word. If Jesus is my judge and yours, then realize his appraisal includes hidden issues. That's brought out in the text. These three thoughts are brought out in the text. All right? So again, let me back up. All of you and I are going to go one, if you're saved. If you're saved, you're going to be at the judgment seat of Christ. And here's some th- three things to keep in mind. 
So number one, Paul, look at what Paul says, verse three, but me, it's a, with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you. It's a very small thing that the Christians say, I don't know about him being an apostle. I don't know about him. I wish he was better looking. I don't mind his letters. Man, I wish he didn't have such a Jewish looking nose or whatever. I mean, well, he's a Jew. What do you expect? And Roman, you know, I was like, you know what? It's light. Let you judge me like that. Well, you know, he just doesn't have the forearms that I'd like to see in an apostle. Well, you know, and uh, he just uh, he doesn't have that voice like the, you know, the other Greek orator. Well, sorry about that. I'm trying, you know. Paul's saying, I'm taking lightly. Same thing with me. I get assessed. I get assessed all the time. And, and again, in a way, you need to be assessed. If you see me do something illegal, you need to judge that as something. But we're talking about, I think, in this kind of a, kind of in a working for the Lord type of a scenario. As um, uh, take lightly other people's judgment. Let me give you an example. I mean, we try at this church to, to give, you know, share the gospel, pass out tracts, talk to people. We do our door knocking and our canvassing about once a month at least. This Saturday is the next one. And I've had it before where, you know, somebody gets upset at me about something. And by the way, I'm not, we're not rude or anything, you know, you know, getting in people's face and being rude. We're trying to start a friendly conversation. But I had a guy one time call me. I'm, in fact, I remember driving in. The guy calls me up. Is this the pastor? Yeah. You need to stop having these people um, paying. You need to stop paying these people to put these flyers in my door. I'm like, we're not paying anybody anything. You know, this isn't like a flyer service. Well, if you, this guy was so mad. He was so upset somebody put something in his door. It says no soliciting. I'm like, well, maybe we just had one of the kids helping us that day or so. I didn't tell him this, but well, if you, yeah, was getting ramped up. Like, hey, you know, sorry about that. And and uh, if you do this again, he threatened. He says he's gonna, if it happens again, he's gonna visit this church with a big bag of uh, doggy do. He's gonna dump on the church. And he was he was mad. And after a while, I told Brother Jose this the other, yesterday. I was talking to Brother Jose. He goes, you know, that's the devil speaking right through him. I was like, I think it was. He tried to intimidate. You know, and sometimes after you, you get stuff like that, you're like, what am I doing? Well, if I did something illegal, that, unless it's, a, you, know, you know, harmful, then that's one thing. But, like, I need to just take that lightly. It's like, okay, whatever. You know, Paul says, it's a small thing that I should be judged of you. I remember there's a pastor, he passed away, Pastor Dale Storm. He, passed, he started Florence Baptist Church in, um, in Florence. And uh, he, I think it was a couple years ago he passed away. But he, um, he had some unique opportunities. I don't know how, but I remember one time he told me he got to speak. This is probably 15, maybe 20 years ago. He got to speak at like a, uh, an event, a memorial service for, it was like a fallen officer, highway patrolman, some, somebody like that. He had some kind of connection with, and he got to speak at it. It was huge. There was like Janet Napolitano was the governor at the time. She was there, and some of her, I don't know, chaplains or something like that, a big old ball, different religious groups, and he's like, I got to speak at this thing and speak to the, about the guy's life. And maybe, I think maybe the guy was saved. I'm not sure. But he, he's like, it was great. He spoke, he gave the gospel. He was very strong about the gospel, about sin, salvation, hell, heaven. And he gave that thing. And he goes, the governor was there, Governor Napolitano. You know, and he's like, and then he told me, he goes, yeah, but one of these chaplains came up to me afterwards. Like, I didn't really appreciate the words you said there. <laughs> you know, some Bible-denying li- liberal uh, chaplain that really has no business doing what they're doing. I don't appreciate you saying those things, you know, kind of like this is a narrow-minded type of a message you have. He's like, well, and he says, this guy was upset. He goes, but I realize, you know what? Knowing the terror of the Lord, I got to persuade men. He said something to that effect of me. He goes, I, I got to do this. You know, if I seek to please men, Paul said in Galatians 1.10, if I seek to please men, I should no longer be the servant of Christ. He's like, I, I'm just going to take lightly that judgment right there. Sometimes when, let's just talk about ourselves. Listen, how, ask yourself this. How much, how many, what, how much of my life is poised around 
how I fear I'm going to be judged of others versus first how I fear God thinks of it. Let me ask you that again. I'm not saying we shouldn't care what others think. But how much of my life is poised and, and decided because I'm, I'm afraid of man's judgment more than, wait a minute, what does God think about my ex, this X, Y, Z, this thing I'm doing or saying? First, if we are constantly yielding to the opinions, constantly yielding all the time to whatever everybody else's opinion is, then we betray our stewardship of God. If God's given me something health, life, breath, being, skills. I just got to do what I can with it. And if somebody doesn't like it, oh well. Now, if I'm doing something wrong, then I need to have that proven to me. But Paul, do you see what Paul's saying is I just take it lightly. Sometimes people don't know us anyways. You know, sometimes some, we get judged by somebody and you think, you know what, they don't even know me. They don't know me. You know, I've had rude people at a door or something say something mean to me, and I thought, you know what, they don't know me. And besides, they're probably, maybe they're already under conviction or upset or maybe just had a bad morning. Sometimes you remember people don't know you. You, need to th- you. you also need to remember that on the other side. Some people flatter, you know. They flatter you. Eh, take, you might want to take that lightly too, the positive judgment. You know, flattery is like perfume. Sniff it, don't drink it, right? It's all right. I mean, even sniff it lightly. But even that, you know, the other day I was looking at my calendar. I have this calendar. I still like a handwritten calendar. I flip it open, and they'll have like sometimes little statements at the top of the month that they'll put in there, the calendar maker, blue sky or whatever. I don't know the name of the calendar maker, blue something. And um, opened it up, and, it, and at the top it says, um, in case you didn't know, you're amazing. <laughs> it really said that, I could show you. In case you didn't know, you're amazing. And I was like, that is such a joke. I might not be very amazing at all. You don't, who wrote that? Who is that? I want to follow. Who wrote that? How do you, can I call? Do you know me? I'm going to call him up. How does that guy know me? No. Who wrote, nobody, the person that wrote, they don't know me. You know, what if a really bad guy buys that and he opens it up? You know, they're lying to him. I might be very non-amazing. Yeah, some people put stuff on that to just pump themselves up. To like, you know, maybe it's because they need a voice in their life. But sometimes people don't know us, and so, all right. One day I'm going to stand before Jesus. So in between now and then, I don't. I think this is the idea. Don't get too hung up on other voices. Ah, I got to take lightly your voice because at the end, this voice has the greatest weight. That's what it's saying. Number two, I need to just learn to get over myself. Look at the words there, verse four. For I know, no, at the end of verse three, I'm sorry. I judge not mine own self. Paul says, yea, I judge not my own self. You know what Paul's saying? He says, listen, Corinthians, I'm not even going to turn around and say, well, you think this? Oh, yeah, well, I'm really the bestest apostle ever. And I'm this, and I planted more trees. He does. He says, I'm not even going to do that. I don't judge my own self. I'm not going to tout my resume in front. He goes, I, I, don't, I don't even, I try not to, here's what he's saying. I'm trying not to get too hung up on my own self-assessment. That's, again, extremism. We sometimes go too far one way or too far another way. Like, I am such a loser, I'm going to kill myself. Or I'm awesome, man. I'm the greatest ever. If anybody knew that about me, I'd get a raise or a promotion. You know, we kind of overinflate. Paul says, I judge not my own self. Um, so for us, it means just sometimes we got to get over ourselves. Sometimes we maybe get too down on ourselves or we think too highly of ourselves. And Paul says, don't think too highly, think soberly. And then over here, John says, if our heart condemn us, 1 John 3, God is greater than our heart and knoweth all things. Leave that heart stuff to God. Sometimes I, this, is, this happens to me. I look at my life, what I'm trying to do as a dad, as a pastor, as a husband, all that. And then I look at somebody else, what he's doing as a dad, a pastor, a husband. And I'm like, man. And I might get down on myself. And I find a little consolation in some of these scriptures. Because 
Again, he that judges me is the Lord, not the opinions of others about different pastors. And God says, 2 Corinthians 5, the language is, we all appear for the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body. I can answer for what I'm doing in this body with these gifts. I don't have to answer for what I did in another person's body because I don't have that other person's body. I don't have that other person's gift. I don't have that other person's time or resources. I may have more or less. I'm going to answer for this body. So are you. You don't get worked up. I wish I had a body like this. I wish I had a body like that. Well, good news is you're going to give an account for the things done in your body. God knows the, what you can and can't do. Isn't that a blessing? God knows what, uh, you know, the, your limits and your opportunities. He knows it's different than somebody else. He knows that. He's going to reckon all that together. So I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. He's going to judge me. So I don't want to get too hung up on other people's opinions, not get too hung up on my own opinion about myself. Number three, though, we need to think through this, though. We need to remember, since we're going to, he's my judge, that his appraisal of, of you and of me individually includes hidden issues. Hidden issues. Things that nobody else sees except him anyways. That's why we have to be careful about judging people in that sense. Like, I can assess people, but I have to be very careful because some things I don't see. I don't see the motive all the time. I don't see what's done behind closed doors, positive or negative. Watch what it says in verse 5. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts and then shall every man have praise of God. I'm trying to take those two statements as positive and as the context of referring to the moment of a judgment seat of Christ. So let's pretend I'm standing before the judgment seat of Christ in this moment. In this judgment, he will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the heart. I think it's talking about he will bring out unseen moments and unseen motives, counsels of the heart. And in this context, there's going to be praise of God. There's unseen moments that are probably bad and sin. That's not the issue at the judgment seat of Christ. If there's a hidden thing of darkness, it's an unseen moment for God that you've done something good, there'll be praise of God. An unseen motive. You did something, and maybe other people didn't think it was that good, but God saw that your, heart, your motive was golden, whereas somebody else may have done something that looked good, but the motive was not golden. Do you see what God is looking at right now at us? He's looking at our motives, the thoughts and intents of the heart. In fact, He's a discerner of that. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest. God has the CAT scan and MRI on everybody's body and soul and motive. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in His sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. Hebrews 4.13 says, God knows every part of us and every motive. He knows exactly why I came to church today better than I do. He knows exactly why you came to church. He knows why you wouldn't come to church. It have been fine. He knows why you wouldn't come to church when it's bad. He, he knows that. And then I'm not just using church as the only example. But I'm just trying to say, praise the Lord when you stand before Him. He sees through all that stuff. He gets it. I read about this. I read this article, and like the guy was saying, everybody knows, and he mentions this director, and I'm like, I did not know this director was. Where have I been? They mentioned this. Uh, oh, it was a Hollywood film producer from years ago, Cecil B. DeMille. Anybody heard of him? Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. I've heard of him now. Cecil, let me tell you about him. Let me tell you about a little incident. It reminds me of this point here. So this guy, Cecil B. DeMille, you'll recognize some of these movies. He's well-known for his biblical epics, King of Kings in 1927, Samson and Delilah in 1949, and the Ten Commandments in 1956. Some of us might have seen that. 
Uh, his, this guy, DeMille, his, his films were huge in scope with casts of thousands. <clears throat> epic films requiring epic budgets. And, you know, this is back in the day where it's like multiple cameras, wide screen, big planes, you know, all these costumes and big scenes. And so here's something that happened to this guy. He was filming. He was doing a story. I don't remember what film it was. But it required, the, the scene was, there was this big, gigantic battle that he had to film. DeMille did. It was a gigantic battle, a scene between armies, and it required thousands of soldiers, horses, weapons, and structures, and tons of equipment. So they got it all ready, you know. And again, this is done. A, this is a different day. Nowadays, we can kind of like do stuff just in fragments on computerized and all that. This is real time stuff. Big old scene. All these soldiers and equipment and you know catapults and war machines and all this. And there's going to be some kind of battle. And so here's what he was going to do. He set up four cameras to make sure he had the scene covered from four different angles. In case of any mistakes, you know, oh, there's a mistake on that camera, we'll clip and edit it and only use this one. So he had these four cameras. When he was about to start the scene, the war is going to start and the movements are going to take place. When he was about to start the scene, all the cameramen were, he told them to get all ready. And finally he shouted, action! He said it was like an actual war scene. It had started guns and cannons, explosions and men and horses charging and falling and battle towers being blown up. He says it was... It was just, it was huge. And they all went through, and finally when it was done, he shouted, cut! You know, as if they could hear him. I don't know how they could hear him, but passed it along through other men. Cut! When DeMille sent the word to his camera operators after they cut, he says, asking if they had gotten a good film. Unfortunately, they hadn't. Four guys. On the first camera, the film had been broke. The film had broke. On the second camera, a horse kicked the camera into the dirt. On the third one, one of those falling towers fell on the camera, crushed the camera. Exasperated, there was a fourth camera. Exasperated, DeMille used his megaphone to shout to the fourth guy, hey, the fourth operator. He said, did you get all that? He shouted. The fourth cameraman was like, all right, I'm ready when you are. <laughs> he never started it. He got nothing. All that, all that war scene, all that choreograph, choreography, whatever, you know, all the, and it didn't get captured. But, but here's the thing. God, God is never not filming. We got a new camera up here. It may or may not work. Hi. Uh, God is never not filming. It's always captured. And the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. That's for us. And so he sees the hidden issue. He sees my hidden motive. He sees my hidden moments when I've done well, when I've not done well. Same with you. How many of you have seen this? Raise your hand if you've seen this. Okay. Anybody seen this before? Recently? Raise your hand if you've seen it recently. One, two, three, four. Okay, yeah. So about seven of us, maybe, have seen it recently. Did you say you saw it? Where'd you see it? These flowers, outside, that's right. Okay. Did you know we've been having flowers grow outside here? Um, they might be a, a little bit more dissipated from this area, but they were growing there. They were growing right over here by the, the mailbox on the hill. And then I think in the far field, they're kind of showing up. And like a week or so ago, I took a picture with my phone. I thought, this is a beautiful little spot of flowers. But for a while there, I wasn't even noticing. I'd be just like walking through the lawn. We got to mow this lawn, you know, and then I'm walking around. And, and then after a while, I'm like, wait a minute, look at that. Look at those little flowers. That's pretty cool. Oh, wow, looks really good. And I took a, took a little shot of it. Like, I like that. That's good. You know, something good was happening right under our nose. A lot of us didn't see it. Now, maybe because you do not hear that often, that's fine. Or walk out in the grass. But God, that's like with God. He sees the little blossoms that maybe somebody else has overlooked. You know, he sees the blossom of, of something good you did or something you thought or a good motive. He sees that. 
for us as Christians. He's taking a shot, even if it just nobody else saw it. And he's got it. And every man will have praise of God for some little lily or something that, will, that you've done for him one day. But the question is, do we have, let's think about our motives. Let's think about our motives here. Matthew 6 talks about, Adam talked about this, the motive when you pray or fast or give benevolent giving. The motive. God sees the motive, you know. Um, do I pray? We pray publicly. We pray in small groups. We pray privately. But God sees if we have the motive of, I get to pray because, I mean, I'm praying. I want to be able to show people how I can pray, you know. To pray to be seen of men is not good. You know, to pray just because, hey, this is part of the brotherhood, let's talk to the Lord. But if you're doing it to get praise or get attention or something like that, Jesus says, don't do that. That You have your reward if you do. And even fasting, you start fasting because you're seeking the Lord on something, trying to make a major decision. Don't go around and brag about it. You know, God knows what our motives are when we do things like that. Um, he sees that. His judgment includes unseen things. Some of you had unseen hidden suffering that nobody else knows about. And I'm not saying you can't share. The Bible says, share, you know, confess your faults one to another. The Bible says pray for one another. The Bible says stuff like that. But some people have unseen struggles that only God sees, and you've been faithful through them. That's a little blossom to God. Blessed is a man that endureth temptation. For when he is tried, he shall receive a crown of life. So the Lord has promised to them. The trial of your faith be much more precious than gold and perishes is going to be founded in the praise and honor and glory of Jesus, it says. Yeah, it's going to, keep, it's going to bear out. Motives, do you do stuff, stuff willingly? You know, Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians 9 about preaching the gospel. He says, if I do this willingly, I have a reward. In other words, the idea, if I just kind of, oh, i got to tell people about Jesus. Oh, man. Well, don't. Just stop then. Stop. Forget it. You're gonna, so you're going to lose your reward. I mean, somebody might get saved, but to do something willingly, God sees if you got it willingly. That, that, that includes a reward. Even, the mo even right now, right now, somebody says, you know, even the motive of believing on Jesus to be our Savior and, be our, and to be saved. The Bible says in Romans 10, 9, that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. It talks about it's not just being saved. God knows it's a matter of something that not just everybody else say, sees. And I said a theologically correct statement about Jesus. I believe Jesus Christ died. Wait a minute. You really believe in your heart? Okay, God sees that part. So, here it is. His appraisal. He that judgeth me is the Lord. You can ask people's opinions of stuff. It's good to get opinions. I've gotten opinions about stuff lately on maybe life decisions. But just remember the value of your life. And the assessment of it, it's going to be that final thing is going to come before the judgment seat of Christ. I, uh, you know, teachers, we have some teachers in our church. I'm pretty sure this is the case. Teachers probably have a tough job when they have a bad kid, you know, because you have to still, like when you meet maybe with the parent or with the kid, you know, you have each of your students, you know, do their grades and do their grading, and then you do what they need to work on, their strengths and weaknesses, and what they're doing good at, and you do that for each student, you know, their subjects, their grades, and then uh, things they work on, things they're good at, and then you have to tell sometimes them that, and then you have to tell the parent that, you know. Sometimes we have a hard student, you're like, what is he good at? He can tie his shoes, you know, maybe something like that. But, you know, parents have to Sometimes keep, that's what we should do, try to keep good compliments to our kids to encourage them. We still want to correct them. Parent, teachers have to do that to keep even bad students moving forward. Hey, you're doing good here. You're persistent and irritating people. But, I mean, you can apply that to, you can apply that to your math, be persistent in your math, you know. Um, you have to find ways to say good job in this. And, and, again, that's what I think God's saying one day. is like, you know, you, you didn't get an award. You don't have a trophy case. And 
you don't have very many certificates and you may not have been um, uh, acknowledged in church or got promotions at work or, or, or as a, maybe a missionaries or weren't well known and stuff like that. But there's a coming a day, it's going to all come out. As we said last week, we're going to see what the substance of that pile of stuff is when it goes to the fire. Is it just burn up? Or is it going to be gold, silver, and precious stones? And, and, or is it just going to burn up to wood, hay, and stubble? Just have a few little nuggets there. But every man will have praise of God. I, I've been blessed by this. Uh, there's a book I'm reading called uh, Alone at Dawn. Anybody ever heard of that? Alone at oh, Johnny. Johnny's heard of John. How'd you hear about it? <laughs> Alone at Dawn. It's a book about a guy named um, Tech Sergeant uh, John Chapman. And this happened in 2002. What I'm about to tell you, he was a combat controller. I didn't realize for the Air Force. I didn't realize how studly combat controllers are. So <laughs> I started reading about it. They're kind of like the Air Force version of a Navy SEAL. In fact, he would combine with Navy SEAL teams to do special operations. So John Chapman uh, was, did a, it was a, it's a big story, I can't tell you all of it. But what happened is, he was with a SEAL team, he was actually with two of them, in Afghanistan in the spring of 2002. And he, um, basically there was a guy that got the helicopter got hit, one of the seals fell down, and he ended up dying, and the helicopter had to go away because the helicopter was damaged. And he wanted, when the helicopter went away, he was leading, and he says, hey, any more guys, we need to go back and pick up our seal, our guy. And so he led another, a group of guys to go back, back into this war zone. It's actually at the top of a mountain. There was a few, um, like little forts. That wasn't the word they used. But there's a few forts high up in these mountains where this all happened. Al-Qaeda guys, machine guns, rocket-propelled grenades, and you know the RPGs and all that. They're going back into this zone that they just got nailed in, and they're going to try to go down there and get their guy, and they're also going to try to take control of the top of this mountain area of these two little forts. So he already got hit. He says, all right, so he brings these guys back with him in this big um, Chinook or something, big big helicopter, and they guys, and they get dropped off. He was leading a team, some SEAL. He was ahead of some of these SEALs. And he goes and he goes up and it's uphill in snow, waist deep, going uphill in snow toward a, at night, at night. Now they had night vision goggles, the other guys didn't, the enemy didn't. Going uphill in snow and they had kind of a strategy to get to each fort, take control of it, get to another fort, take control. I think there may have been three and he, you, and he went up there and he ended up, I mean, confronting within feet of these guys and shooting back. And he ended up going at point blank range and finally taking over one of the forts, killed a couple of the Al-Qaeda guys, got in the fort, secured it. Another SEAL came in and then they started shooting at another fort. And um, in that time, he ended up getting hit a few times. The other SEALs came. And so he got hit bad, so he, was, he, he had already made that, caused some damage and did some good, in a good way. He was laying down, bleeding. The other SEALs were doing some work, were trying to attack. A couple of them got hit hard. They had to retreat. They thought he had died. He laid down there. He was there. They thought he died. They went back. They, they were going to come back. They went back to the helicopter. They, they left. They ended up coming back within less than an hour, and, um, and he was ended up being dead. And they gave him an award. He won the, the, the um, Silver Star or something for the Air Force. And then some years later, the one of the secretary and somebody in the State Department says, we, he needs a Medal of Honor. Because they looked at some, see, this, this is the thing I haven't told you. It was the only, he ended up winning the Medal of Honor. It's the only Medal of Honor winner that's caught on with footage. They had drone footage of what really happened. And they ended up looking closer at it. The drone footage, there was a drone that was the whole time. And maybe even a spy plane. 
And they look closer at it, and this one person in the military says, this guy actually came back. He revived, and he did more attacking, and nobody saw it. But the drone saw it. What happened was, was those guys took off. He was laying there. Dying. He probably passed out. They're trying to, the best they can figure out, he probably passed out. When he passed out, and our guys left, a big old plane started going boom, 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 shooting stuff in the side of this mountain. These big old, you know, I don't know the name. I don't know all the technical stuff, the military, but they're shooting huge munitions in the side. Boom, boom, to just shake up the, uh, uh, those Al-Qaeda forces. And it's also to provide cover as the guys take off. He was there when those munitions were coming on the mountain there. But he ended up reviving somehow and waking up. And he had a lot of munition, and he started boom, boom, picking away guys, picking them out, and taking guys out. And the drone f saw what he was doing, his movements, and he even had another Al-Qaeda guy come on, and he was in hand-to-hand -hand combat. This guy's bleeding. Hand-to-hand -hand combat with somebody. And he killed this other guy and went about his other business. Boom, boom. And he stayed kind of in this fort. When the other helicopter came in of the other SEALs, because they had to come back to still get this other guy and get him, and they were supposed to take over the top of this mountain. When the other helicopter came back, they think he knew it because he, right when the helicopter, he got out of the fort and started just, basically, it's, this is it, it's my suicide run type of thing. Boom, 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 boom. And going after guys, and finally he was hit. He was hit with bullets or shrapnel a total of 16 times. And the last one was in his heart. And that's it. Boom. But that was at dawn. That's why they call it alone at dawn. He decided to go right out there alone, alone. All the guys were gone at dawn. But when he saw him coming in, he surged a little bit and died. And the drone caught all that. And when they sorted it all out, they're like, he needs to get a Medal of Honor. And he got a Medal of Honor. But my thought is, you know what? So somebody saw that. And God sees that. I mean, God sees your heroics. He's like, it's not like that. Well, it could be a moment of saying no to temptation. It could be a moment of, I'm going to be honest here. He sees that. And every man will have praise of God.